Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You don't believe in a great judgment. You don't believe in the reality of what they used to call hellfire and brimstone. You don't believe that the judgment of God is going to come in a dynamic way. Then just cross that out of your Bible, rip that page out of the book, and continue living your life totally deceived. Because the truth of God's Word is there. Do you believe it? And if you really believe it, is your life responding to it accordingly? There have always been scoffers when it comes to the teachings of Christ, but the Word of God clearly warns about the dangers of resisting the message of the gospel. In today's teachings with Pastor David, we are reminded to be prepared for the final judgment of unbelief. As followers of Christ, we ought to live in such a way that is so future-focused that the advancement of the gospel becomes the center of our lives. So let's keep our eyes on Christ and demonstrate belief by the way we love and live. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Future Focused. They would also have a small little thing of oil that they would keep handy and available to keep their lamps lit with sufficient oil. Jesus speaks of the parable of the ten virgins about having enough oil, and that's where that idea, there's not much you're going to have in this. Plus that little bitty wick there, it had to be trimmed on a regular occasion as it burnt down and readjusted in order for the lamp to shine brightly. And if your lamp went out, beloved, it wasn't you got the big lighter out and you lit it again. No, you either had to find another lamp that's already lit to relight yours, or you had to scour around and find a piece of flint that you'd get a spark going, get a flame going, and relight your light. But that's why you have to keep your lamps burning. So was Jesus talking about lumens? No. He's talking about the light of our lives and being in that attitude and that heart of preparation that would be prepared, prepared for whatever came about, that continual mode of readiness within our lives, prepared for whatever might happen, whenever the Lord or the master might come. Jesus tells him, be like those men who wait for their masters, anticipating. He says, and then he returns, he comes, he knocks on the door, they open up to him immediately. It's not like, oh, wait a minute, hold on, let me, let me, let me, let me get the light. Hold no, that anticipation that you're there and you're ready. In other words, their robes were girded up, their lamps were lit, they were prepared to do whatever the master called them to do whenever he calls them to do it. And when he finds his servants in that condition, he rewards them in a very public way. Look what it says there. He says, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that 
He himself will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. You see how the master comes when he finds faithful servants? With their minds focused on his soon return, their lives prepared for service, the light of their lives shining brightly, he comes in and it says immediately he rewards them. Jesus tells him by way of this parable that, that he will gird himself and he himself will sit them down to eat and he will come and he will serve them. Why? Because it's the reward of being a faithful servant, a follower of Christ who is ready for the master to come at any moment. Those who live their lives in the future tense. One other thing, when you're living your life in a future tense, it's a whole lot more difficult for the things of this world to distract you or to ensnare you. You're anxiously anticipating your master's return. I don't care about that. I'm waiting for my master. I don't want to get caught up in that. Man, I'm waiting for my master to come. That's the kind of heart. That's the kind of uh, mental attitude that Christ is saying that you and I need to have as believers. And in this passage, we find one other interesting thing. I believe that Jesus might actually be giving a hint of the timing of his return. Look what it says in verse 38. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. What do you mean by the second or the third watch? Well, during that time, there are actually two time frames or two ways that they divided up the night. One was the Roman time frame. The Roman time frame, they had four different night watches, three hours apiece. So it began at six in the evening, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. was the first watch. 9 p.m. to midnight was the second watch. Midnight to 3 a.m. was the third watch, and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m was the fourth watch. So the second or the third watch in Roman time, that would be from nine to midnight or midnight to three. Now in Jewish time, they actually divided the night into three different sections of four hours apiece. It went from six in the evening till 10 in the evening, from 10 in the evening till two in the morning, and from two in the morning till six in the morning. So the second and the third watch in Jewish time was from 10 in the evening till two, or the third watch from two in the morning till six. Personally, I think that Jesus was referring, as he's talking to his followers, I believe that he's referring to the Jewish time frame. And again, when we look at that, with Jesus giving the option that the possible return might be during that third watch, the last watch of the night, I believe that he might be alluding to the point that he may come at that point in time where it's darkest before the dawn. That time, man, from two o'clock in the morning till six. If you've ever worked a, a overnight shift, you know, man, that's the hardest hours. Three or four o'clock in the morning just before the sun starts coming up, particularly if you've worked all night. Can you anticipating? They're waiting. They're anxiously waiting for their master to come back. And it's midnight. Oh, he hasn't come yet. You know, you're slapping yourself. Oh, he'll come anytime. All of a sudden, it's two o'clock. Oh, my goodness. I'm so tired, but he might come at any time, three and four. You see, that third watch goes all the way till six in the morning. 
But you know, the problem is, and I know it's speculation, but the, I, I believe that there's other scripture passages that allude to the reality that our Lord is going to come at a much later time than what we might anticipate him. But we need to be anticipating him at any moment. I believe Jesus was hinting at the fact that before he comes back, it's going to be some very, very dark times. Men are going to grow tired of waiting. They'll become disenchanted with that anticipation of his return. Some are going to grow very weary. Some are going to relax in their passion for the Lord. Their desire for his return is going to grow pretty cold. Why? Because he hasn't come back yet. The lamps of their life and witness are going to grow dim. Why? Because they waited with anticipation, and he hasn't come yet. And they waited and waited, and he's still not here. So we grow weary. We grow weary in waiting. But Jesus says, blessed are those servants who remain ready for his return. You see that whole understanding of the darkness before the dawn. We see that throughout the New Testament. We see that as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes to him, he says, Timothy, know this, that in the last times, perilous times are going to come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. All this is just in the political realm. But uh, then without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. But you know what? The lost world's always been that way. I don't believe he's talking about the lost. I believe he's talking about you and me. I believe he's talking about the church. I believe that he's talking about the church, that the church has been talking about the second coming of Christ for so long and anticipated his coming for so long. And the hour's growing late and we're just weary. We're just tired. So we start, again, looking more like the world than like the holy and the righteous bride of Christ. Instead of looking like citizens of heaven, we start looking like the products and the citizens of this world. I want you to turn to this passage with me, if you would. It's 2 Peter, chapter 3. Even Peter, as he's speaking about the last days, he says, man, there's a lot of things that are going to happen just prior to the return of the Lord Jesus. 2 Peter, chapter 3. Peter writes there in 2 Peter, chapter 3, down in verse 3, he says, scoffers are going to come in those days. They're going to walk according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, again, let me pause here because we need to see this in the context of what he's speaking. There's always been scoffers. Man has always walked according to his lusts. So what's the difference here? Peter's talking to the church. He's talking to the church and he says that in those last days, scoffers are going to come. Yeah, even within the church. Those that walk according to their own lust. Yeah, even within the church. They're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? You know, there's a lot of churches that don't teach and don't anticipate, don't preach and don't encourage you in the reality that, man, Jesus is coming and he's coming at any moment, at any time. Whether it be through the rapture or the second coming, they just don't teach it anymore. They don't share it. 
Because I believe, again, the weariness of so many. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, everything's continued on as it was from the beginning of creation. But Peter says, hey, they're just willingly forgetting the fact that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You don't believe in a great judgment. You don't believe in the reality of what they used to call hellfire in brimstone. You don't believe that the judgment of God is going to come in a dynamic way. Then just cross that out of your Bible, rip that page out of the book, and continue living your life totally deceived. Because the truth of God's word is there. Do you believe it? And if you really believe it, is your life responding to it accordingly? Look what he says, verse 8. Beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, we don't need to start calculating this. We can, and we can speak a lot about that. But what he's speaking here is that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I came to Christ really and fully in 1970. I'd been a member of a church, active in a church up until that time. But in 1970, I gave my heart and life to Christ. I'm glad Jesus didn't come in 1969. Some of you may have only known the Lord for five or ten years. Aren't you glad that he didn't come in 2000? You see, the Lord is long-suffering. He's patient. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. It will come. And it'll come, as Peter says, as a thief in the night. I believe he's borrowing from the very words that Jesus spoke about there in Luke 12. That reality, man, you don't even expect it. He says it's going to come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The reason that I know that he's speaking to the church is because, again, look at what he says next. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? We need to have our robes girded, our lamps lit. We need to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish. Peter reminded them that it was Jesus who first used that illustration of the thief in the night. Let's go back to Luke chapter 12, if you would. Luke 12, down in verse 39, Jesus speaking to his followers, he says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. What does he mean about that thief? He means being prepared, being ready, living with that anticipation. Hey, 
Jim, I just got word. There's going to be a guy breaking into your house at 10.05 tonight. Whoa. Okay, thanks. Click. Guarantee you the gun cabinet comes open, okay? For those of you that don't believe in firearms, that's okay. I'll call the police. They'll get there in a half an hour. Okay. We'd be ready, wouldn't we? We'd be ready. Wait a minute, he didn't come at 10.05. It's now 10.10. That's okay. Maybe he got caught in traffic. I'm going to wait. 10.30. Oh, I don't know. Go fix me some coffee. 12 o'clock. No come. Put the gun back in the cabinet. Go back to bed. And at 2 o'clock, I hear a glass break. I could have been ready. I thought he was going to come at a certain time, but he was coming. If you knew which time, you'd be ready. He says, but you need to be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Rather it be the master coming back from that great feast or the thief coming in the night, the point of the illustration is this. Keep your mind focused on the future. Be prepared. Be ready for action. Keep your light lit for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect it. Now to drive this idea, to drive this thought home, to give you a little bit more weight to what Jesus is sharing with him, let's look at these next few statements really quickly. Verse 41, then Peter asked him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Now catch this. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has, but, but, If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat the male servants and the female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers." And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself nor do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving stripes shall be beaten with a few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. To whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. There's so much that we could say in that right now. However, let me limit it to this. Peter was asking the question, are you talking about just the followers or about everybody? Jesus responds to him and he gives, in essence, three different positions or three different uh, situations that people will find themselves in when the Lord returns. The first situation, the first are those faithful, those wise stewards. They're the ones that have continually lived their lives with that future focus. They're ready, they're prepared for the Lord's return. They've committed to the Lord for the long run, and great is the reward. We see that. The next group here, and I need you to really pay attention with this one. This next group are those who act like, they look like, they talk like, and they appear to be disciples or followers of the Lord Jesus. But when the going gets tough and the hour grows late for his return, their real heart, their real passion, and their real focus comes to light. They know the right thing. They understand the right way. But they're not truly and fully obedient to the truth. And they're not fully and truly committed to the master. 
they are what I would call fair weather followers or short time disciples. There's no true commitment, no real surrender of their lives to Christ. They've heard the message, but they've never come to that point of dying to their own plans and purposes in order that the Lord Jesus could and would live through them. They're the ones who have been churched up, have been actively involved in church for many years. They know the lingo, they know the routine, but they've never truly been born again. They know the right thing to do, but they fail to fully surrender. And beloved, if that's your position this morning, you need to understand that when the going gets tough, you will bail. If you cannot follow Jesus wholeheartedly with a full commitment now, what are you going to do when the time comes and it's tough to follow Jesus? And really and truly, your future is at stake, your family is at stake, your life is at stake. Jesus says for those, they're going to be cut in two. They're going to be appointed to their position with unbelievers. Why? Because being churched up isn't a believer. Being actively involved in good things is not a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. He is not your Lord. He may be your example. But beloved, unless he is your Savior, unless he is your Lord, unless you've come to that point in time in your life, even as we shared at communion, that you declared, I am a great sinner. I need a great Savior. Lord, save me, both now and for all eternity. I give my life to you. That doesn't mean we enter into perfection. Listen, those of you that know me know that, that that's not the case. But it does mean that our heart's passion is for him. We're looking for him. Not just being a good guy or a good gal, but the reality that I'm a new creature in Christ. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As I shared with communion, Jesus told Nicodemus, who was a righteous dude, okay, he was one of the Pharisees, and he was one of the good guy Pharisees on top of that. He wasn't the wicked ones. No, he loved the Lord. And Jesus told him, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. I don't care how active you are. I don't care what kind of ministry you've been involved in. Unless you are truly born again by the Spirit of God, you will not even see heaven. You see, the forgiveness of God is available to all who ask. But beloved, there's got to be a point in time in your life that you ask. Some just slide into church and they grow in relationship with the church. They grow in understanding of what the church expects. They grow in familiarity with the ministry. But they truly don't know Christ. And worse than that is Christ doesn't know them. And in that day, his word declares... He'll say, depart from me, because I never knew you. Do you think Jesus is drawing a hard line in the sand? Oh, yeah, he is. I guarantee you he is. Salvation isn't judged on a scale. It's pass or fail. Has there been a point in time in your life where you've said, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I know I need a Savior. Would you come and be my Lord? We 
hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.